This podcast is sponsored by Speaker Rocks Media, where we hand-build podcasts just like this one to create online communities for brands like yours. If you'd like to learn more, head over to speakerboxmedia.com. And once I was neck deep in the waters, I realized, hey, it's more like 10% tech and 90% sales and marketing because you can have the best product in the world, but if you don't have people knowing about it, who cares? Especially if it's a marketplace, you have to have the people on the platform, otherwise it's worthless. Welcome to the B2B Growth Hacks Podcast, the show that helps entrepreneurs like you unlock opportunities for growth in business. I'm your host, Sarah Smith, and this is B2B Growth Hacks, a podcast powered by Speakerbox Media. Welcome back to another episode of B2B Growth Hacks. I've got this amazing conversation curated for you today with none other than Trey Tapichin. Got it. Yes. Very, very well pronounced. Thanks. I tried. It's, it's rare for people to get it up It's here. almost like yeah. I had to practice that. Hey, no worries there. Good job. But Trey is the co-founder of Cloud Dentistry, and he's gone from lawyer to a fully funded tech founder. So we're going to dive right in. <laughs> But to introduce you to cloud dentistry a little bit and to Trey, Trey graduated and taught at Harvard Law, after which he practiced for seven years. He co-founded Cloud Dentistry, which now has over three million in seed funding. And Cloud Dentistry is a marketplace for dental talent with over 127,000 assignments booked. There's over 18,000 practices registered and over 50,000 dental professionals on the platform today. Not small numbers. <laughs> Super excited to talk to you, Trey. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So we're going to jump right in because we have so much to cover. I'm sure everyone at this point is wondering, how do you go from being a lawyer to a fully funded tech founder? I know, right? I still wake up in the mornings kind of asking myself that same question. I'm like, how did I end up here? I'm in the dental space all of a sudden. If I rewind the tape, it started with a dinner conversation I was having with a buddy of mine from high school. So I hadn't seen this guy. His name is Reza. And I probably hadn't seen him in 10 years. And we're catching up over dinner. And I was a lawyer at the time. He was a dentist at the time. And we start kind of getting into this friendly chest bumping match, arguing about who has a tougher job. Is it tougher being a lawyer or tougher being a dentist? And we're both kind of competitive about it. We both want to win the argument. <laughs> no, I have the worst job. Yeah, my job's tougher. Like, I work harder than you do. And so I go through the pains of being a lawyer. The billable hours are tough. There's a lot of other th difficult things about it. But obviously Reza won the discussion because we started the business based on his pain points, right? And so he tells me, look, Trey, as a dentist, he's in the patient's mouths all day long, and then he has to still run the business on top of it, which he's not really particularly trained to do. And then to add insult to injury, the staff is just not very reliable. And it's because over 50% of them are part-time or temporary workers. Mm. And so he says that he's trying to run his business, but they're constantly calling in sick or quitting on him. There's a high turnover rate. And what that means for him is thousands of dollars in lost production anytime a hygienist or a dental assistant calls in sick or goes on vacation or anything happens. He's just going to lose out on all those patient treatment hours. And so he was telling me this. And again, I wanted to win the argument. And I was like, Reza, you're just trying to win the argument, man. Like, the, it, it can't be that difficult. Like, where do you find replacement staff right now? And he tells me he's using Craigslist. <laughs> or indeed, it's scary, right? Because you yeah. think you're going to the dentist and to think that they found their hygienist on Craigslist, possibly. <laughs> and so I thought he was just pulling my leg. And I was like, Reza, in every other vertical out there that I know of, there's a marketplace to find on demand whatever you need. Like if I needed a, someone to walk my dog, I would download the WAG app and I have a dog walker. If I needed a nanny, I would go to care.com. And so I told Reza, 
surely you haven't looked. Surely there's a marketplace out there for on-demand dental hygienists and on-demand dental assistants. And so he pulls out his phone, I pull out my phone, we're both looking and there's just nothing. Wow. And so it was kind of against that backdrop that I just said, wow, this is a golden opportunity because we're not inventing anything new. We're just taking something that's worked in other verticals and saying, let's bring kind of the sharing economy, the gig economy to the dental space. And so it was on the heels of of that dinner conversation that I said, okay, I'm all in, let's do this. (laughs) So Reza, you won in case you needed that, (laughs) that affirmation. I'm just here to give it to you. (laughs) I'll be very happy to hear this. (laughs) So yeah, I think that that's very, first of all, how cool. How cool that you just connected over dinner and then you ended up finding a market (laughs) all over dinner. It's it's, it's bizarre. Even though you went to school to be a lawyer, did you feel like you had a propensity to want to be an entrepreneur early on or did this completely take you by surprise? No, I've always had kind of an entrepreneurial mindset. I mean, my father was an entrepreneur in Mexico. He owns a construction company down there. And so I've always had kind of my eyes and ears open to business opportunities. I really enjoyed being a lawyer. I enjoyed going to the court. I enjoyed writing motions and arguing cases, all that was a lot of fun. But the thing about being a lawyer that I found very unsatisfying was the billable hour system Mm. where you just have to bill a certain number of hours regardless of how efficient you are. And I pride myself on working hard, being efficient, getting the job done and then moving on to the next thing, right? But in the legal space, if you work and you bang out a summary judgment motion in five hours, whereas it might take a colleague 20 hours to do that, you're penalized for that. You just get fewer billable hours. And so I found that very discouraging. So I was always looking for something that I could kind of apply that efficiency mindset to create something new that would better everyone's lives and better my own life in the process. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think similar in that regard, I'm always looking for a way to do something faster, but it certainly can lead you down these unique kind of perspectives mm-hmm. and to a unique problem solving kind of mentality. And I think that's what you have to be crazy enough to jump into this full time. (laughs) So you have created Cloud Dentistry, which is a dual sided platform. Talk me through the creation of a dual sided platform and how you've approached serving essentially two markets there. Right. I mean, that was really, I think, something that I underestimated a lot about the challenges of launching this business. In my mind, I thought, oh, I know a tech developer will develop the platform, will kind of enable people to match online, and then we're done. It's as easy as that. And the reality is that when we launched with the alpha version, which if I could show it to you guys, I would be embarrassed. If you look (laughs) at the UI UX, it was just pathetic. But we had to launch with something, right? And so we launched with a very crummy, honestly, in hindsight, it was a very crummy platform. And then I was manually onboarding people onto the site. I would go meet with dental hygienists that I would meet on LinkedIn. I would invite them to coffee. I say, hey, join me for coffee. I want to walk you through my platform and get your thoughts on it. And then they meet me for coffee. They tell me what was bad about the platform, what was good about the platform. And then I go meet with the dental office and say, hey, I just onboarded this hygienist. Do you want to book her for a work assignment through the platform? And so I was kind of very much playing the manual matchmaker behind the scenes to get the platform off the ground. It was a very manual process at first. And we had to kind of keep iterating and iterating on the product to get it to where it is today. I mean, initially we thought, $50,000. We'll raise that amongst ourselves. We'll develop the platform and the rest is history. Fast forward till today and we're constantly innovating, constantly iterating on the platform. I mean, our monthly budget now is about $50,000. What we thought we were going to spend in total on the platform, that's now our monthly budget on tech. So it is a very, very iterative process where you have to really get the feedback from the hygienists and the people you're serving to make it into what they really want. 
Sure. I love this real world example. And if I could say how many coffees and different <laughs> versions of coffee meetings mm-hmm. I've seen executed at different businesses. But what that's about is user feedback. It is. You can create a, a product all you want to, but if it does not serve the user well, you will not have adoption of it. So what are you doing today to continue to collect that kind of feedback? How is that user? Obviously, you're not manually onboarding anymore. <laughs> so Now, we try to stay very much in touch with the community. I mean, our whole vision is to empower the dental hygienists and the dental assistants to build thriving careers. Like we want them to feel like we are truly in your corner and about empowering you, right? Kind of changing the whole temp agency model where they were charging markups on the daily rates, charging these these big buyout fees, telling the hygienists, look, now you guys have the power. You choose when you work, how much you want to make, how far you want to travel. There's no buyout fees. You find an office you love working for, you can go work for them full time. And so they love that kind of message of empowerment because they really do feel like we've put the power back in their hands. And because of that, I think the feedback just comes to us almost organically now. Like we'll go to trade shows, we host events, celebrating the hygienists, celebrating their successes. And they come to these events and we get to mingle with them and we get to talk to them. And we hear their success stories. We hear the times where the matching didn't work well and what broke about it, how we can improve the system. And so we just kind of continuously get organic feedback from our user base through the community. Sure. Yeah. And it's super important to continue that process. And like you said, if you're consistently iterating, you have to consistently be getting feedback. How about on the business office side? So on the dental practice side, how have you developed that side of the platform and how are you managing results on that end? Sure. So for that side of it, the biggest complaint from dental offices and using other sites is that it often feels like you're just talking into a black hole. Like if you go to a job board and you send messages there, people just don't respond. Like there's just no incentives for people to actually engage with you. Mm -hmm. And so offices always feel very, very discouraged. That was what I kept hearing from them is that even at the beginning when they were using cloud industry, they're like, hey, I see people on your site, but I reach out, nothing happens. They don't respond to the booking requests. They don't show up to the booking requests. Mm. And so this goes back to my kind of background in economics where what I learned from there, like the one takeaway that stuck with me from economics is that incentives matter, Mm -hmm. right? And so we're just constantly layering strong incentives into the platform to create the right atmosphere so that the professionals respond quickly. We've gamified the whole thing. They earn points for rapid responses to messages from offices, for example. So if a hygienist gets a message from an office and and she or he responds within the first minute of receiving that message, they'll earn 10 points on the platform and it helps their rankings. If it takes them 10 minutes to respond, they only get one point. Anything beyond 10 minutes, they get zero points. And that kind of gamification mentality pervades the entire platform. Mm. And so because of that, offices get really good traction with us. And so we're constantly getting feedback from the offices about where are their holes in interactivity. And wherever there's a hole in the interactivity levels, that's where we add gamification incentives. That makes tons. Who doesn't want to win and who doesn't want more points? (laughs) People are always competitive. (laughs) Yeah, we're competitive. We're competitive (laughs) by nature. No, but in all seriousness, it does serve something that I commonly see with dual-sided platforms is they lean heavily in favor of one side over the other. Mm -hmm. And I feel that cloud dentistry has really thought about this in a 360 approach with incentivizing something that rewards the Mm -hmm. relationship. And really what you've done really well is decentralize this fragmented experience and relationship that existed before. Mm -hmm. And so in doing that, What do you think is something that you might have overlooked initially with Mm -hmm. this relationship and how did you address that issue? I mean, there were a lot of things I overlooked. (laughs) (laughs) If we had to sit here and kind of go through all the mistakes we made, we'd be here for a while. 
I think a few of the things that we overlooked was just the accountability for people to show up to their assignments. Mm. People would get bookings initially and they just wouldn't show up. And this is the same story of if an office tries to book someone through a job board or through social media, I don't know if it's a generational thing or what, but about 40% of the time they would just get ghosted. Ghosting is a generational thing. Is it? Millennials, okay. we're ashamed of ourselves. It's, it's insane. Like for, I kid you not, we did kind of a, an informal polling of our offices and about 40% of the time they were getting ghosted when they would do bookings through job boards and social media. And the person wouldn't even, it's not that they just don't show up. They just don't even respond to you anymore. And so that was one thing that we overlooked at the beginning. We had a very high no-show rate. And so that's where kind of the gamification comes into play to make sure that this marketplace works for both sides. We started tracking no-show rates. We started suspending users for repeat no-shows. Mm. And so we brought accountability to the space on both sides, right? Because it goes back to your point of it has to work for both sides. And so on the offices side, they get to book with confidence knowing that on our platform, because of the incentives that we've created, we have less than a 1% no-show rate now. On the professional side, we also have payment guarantees for them. So if an office says, hey, I know I booked you, but my patient's canceled today, I have to send you home. The professional doesn't have to worry about trying to collect from the office. They can just call us and they say, hey, this is what happened. They canceled on me at the last minute. We'll pay that professional. No questions asked. So it's kind of those little details that really make both sides feel like cloud industry has my back. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, one of the things that you have built in here is a risk assessment on both sides. Mm -hmm. What is the dental office risking? What is the practitioner or dental professional risking? And how can you create less friction Mm -hmm. when taking that risk, which what you've done is put in a guarantee. Right. Which I think in some form or facet, sometimes it's hard when you're iterating a product to figure out what type of guarantee is doable. Mm -hmm. What what can we guarantee? But when you have results like less than a 1% no-show rate, then what do you say to the person who says, are you just paying no-show people all the time? Or how does that work? How do you make that profitable? How did you make the decision to move into that particular problem-solving mechanism of creating that guarantee? We wanted to avoid disintermediation on the platform. And so we wanted people to have very strong incentives to keep the bookings on the platform. And that's what we've succeeded in doing. So all of these kind of protections that we add to the platform really are core to it. Like even if it costs us a little bit of money to make that happen, you have to have that confidence in the system that it's going to deliver results. Otherwise, people don't use it. Mm. So it's almost an existential thing. You have to spend the money to do that. Yeah. Otherwise, people just won't use your product. Yeah, for sure. And one of the things with some of these sharing economy platforms that I've run into, even as a business owner, is these large buyouts. Mm. What's cloud dentistry's perspective on buyouts and the relationship continuing outside the platform? What's been your approach to that and has it evolved? Yeah. So, I mean, at the beginning, we were kind of taking a more traditional approach where we would charge markups on the professional's rates. So kind of 20% markup. And that way the office wouldn't be out any money unless they actually had a completed booking. They would do a booking. Once the booking was complete, we would charge a 20% markup for our take on making that successful match happen. And what we found is that it basically was taxing utilization Mm. where offices, when they got to that point of booking, they would hesitate and they say, oh, do I really want to incur an extra 20% charge to book this person? And they would try every which way to get around the platform, right? And so we pivoted our model to a pure subscription-based platform where offices pay one flat subscription fee per location and then they get unlimited bookings. And that took away that hesitancy to book because now they already have skin in the game. They've already paid the money. So they say, hey, why not book a temp? And every time a temp is booked, what's great about that is that it's essentially marketing for us. 
because every dental assistant that gets booked on the platform and makes money for us, every hygienist that makes money through us, they tell their friends about it, right? And so it's essentially free marketing for us. Yeah, for sure. Isn't that just like human nature? You buy a product and then you see that $2 or $3 shipping or $7 <laughs> and all of a sudden the $200 of whatever you were going to buy didn't seem worth it. Right, right. You're like, how can I get around this little tiny fee? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, but it's human nature. It is it human is. nature. Even if we know that the pain is great, we take the path of least resistance. Yep. That's what it's yep. about. As you guys have iterated through this product, if you looked for places where people got stuck. Yeah. where there's resistance, where there's friction, and you've helped alleviate some of yeah. that. And the placement fees were, the, were another place where there was friction, right? Because if, if the offices thought that if they work with someone on the platform, they would be bound to pay us thousands of dollars in buyout fees if they wanted to hire that person full-time down the road, again, they would be hesitant to do it. It also put us in a bad situation when we first launched kind of, this is version pre-alpha, of having to police our users, right? Mm. You don't want to be in a situation where you're having to police your users to say, hey, did they hire that person from the platform and take them off the platform? So we said, no, forget it. Like, we're not going to be doing that. It's not scalable. We don't want to have that kind of acrimonious relationship with our end users. Sure. So does revolving talent continue on the platform from word of mouth and just consistent referral? Or how do you guys feel about, say, a dental practitioner starts booking someone monthly and they say, I just want to hire this person right out. What's the yeah, we're, 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 we're happy for them. That ultimately is the goal for these dental hygienists and these dental assistants to land that perfect full-time office where there's great cultural fit, the pay's right, everything's on point. Why would we want to stand in the way of that, right? We're happy for them. And the reality of the marketplace is that there's so much temporary work going on anyway it's kind of a revolving door. So if someone leaves the platform, there's another one coming back onto the platform. And the other kind of idiosyncratic piece of the dental industry is that a lot of dental hygienists are only used by their full-time office four days out of the week because mm. the dentist reserves one day for surgeries, for business matters. And so a lot of these hygienists, a lot of these dental assistants have kind of these fractional units of labor, these individual days. And this is built into the industry. Built into the industry that they can't monetize. And so now even if they have a full-time job, they still have one or two extra days a week that they'll still be giving to Claude Dentistry. Wow. That's an entire another layer that changes the game. It really does. And they're already so temp-centric, right? And they see how much money they can make as a temp that... They say, yeah, why would I not put a, an extra day onto the platform? Because the average rate for hygienists, just to kind of put it into perspective, the average rate nationally for hygienists is about $39 per hour. On our platform, the average rate is $61 per hour. And we don't mark that up. That goes 100% to these hygienists' wallets. Mm. And so with that kind of incentive, like that's a big differential in hourly pay. If they have an extra day, they're putting it on the platform. Yeah. And on the business owner side of that, you're happy to pay that for consistency, for professionalism, to get rid of the headache of having to be an overnight recruiter when yeah. you never really intend that. Absolutely. And you're paying it also for what we talked about earlier, the guarantee that the person will actually show up. Because mm -hmm. if you have a whole day of patients booked out and your hygienist doesn't show up, you're going to have angry patients and you're going to lose thousands of dollars in production. So we're trying to skimp on a small subscription fee, you're literally risking thousands of dollars. It just doesn't make sense to the dental practice. Sure. And is the platform for all dental professionals or is it just hygienists on the platform? Yeah, it's for everybody. So the hygienists, I keep talking about them because they tend to be the most popular user type that gets booked. About 50% of our bookings are for the hygienists. But we have dental assistants on there that probably comprise about 30% of the bookings. And we even have dentists. Dentists themselves are getting booked on the platform oh. about 20% of the time. Very cool. And think talking about percentages here, in a previous conversation we had, you mentioned a percentage that shocked me. 
And that was that building a tech company is about what percent <laughs> right, right. and what percent of what. <laughs> yeah. So th- this comes to when I started actually trying to scale the company. I kind of learned the hard way that it wasn't really a pure tech play. When I started the business, I was like, oh, yeah, we'll develop the platform and then we'll start scaling it. And the hard part will be in the development work. And once I was neck deep in the waters, I realized, hey, it's more like 10% tech and 90% sales and marketing because you can have the best product in the world. But if you don't have people knowing about it, who cares? Especially if it's a marketplace, you have to have the people on the platform. Otherwise, it's worthless. True. Don't get stuck in your idea if there's no sales and marketing. Yeah, I learned that the hard way (laughs) because I remember actually when we launched the platform on day one, the, the, the alpha version of the platform, I went out and I purchased an email list of a bunch of dentists, dental hygienists, dental assistants. And I thought, this is going to be the silver bullet. I'm going to send out this email blast, a really well-crafted email from me. People are going to sign up and it'll start working just off of an email blast. I mean, how naive is that, right? (laughs) And so I remember sending out that email and sitting at my computer, watching the admin panel, waiting for the signups to come in. And it was crickets. Like there's just, there's just no one signing up. That's when it dawned on me. I was like, okay, this is round two now. Like we did the product. We still have to iterate and make it better. Sure. But now we have a whole nother dimension we have to think about, which is the sales and marketing. Yeah, absolutely. And the goal of any business to be profitable. <laughs> so right, right. we're going to move into <laughs> that here. Talking about generating recurring revenue, you touched a little earlier on your pricing model for the platform. Can you dive into your revenue model and your pricing model and why you've chosen that model? Sure. So it's a subscription-based platform. We wanted to kind of bring the iTunes mentality to the dental space. People are familiar with subscriptions, right? It's like you have Netflix, you have iTunes, you have everything. They don't like to be nickel and dimed on a transactional basis, generally speaking. So we said, let's just move away from that. For one flat fee, dental offices can book as many attempts as they want, hire as many as they want full time, send unlimited messages, and they don't have to be thinking about well, if I send this extra message, right? I post to this other job, right? This other booking, how much is it going to cost me? It's like they're already all in. And that's been a very well-received model for us with very low churn and it just gives us a nice steady recurring revenue stream. And then the end users love it too because it's just on average, it's about $90 per month per location. So very affordable for the dental offices and they just, you know, subscribe and use it with impunity. Sure. So in order to get access to the platform, the dental hygienist side, it's free or they pay? Uh, 100% free for all of the professionals. Perfect. Okay. And then on the business side of it, if they want to look at talent, if they want to look at the particular platform, are they able to access that prior or do they have to pay their subscription? Sure. I'm glad you asked that because it's a freemium to premium model. Okay. And so there's no cost for looking. And that's one of our big selling points is that unlike a a job board where- you have to pay up front to get access to the resumes. On our site, we lead with the value. So we say, hey, you need a hygienist, create your free account with us. You can look at the profiles of all the hygienists in your area. All their licenses have already been verified. You can see their pictures, their bios. You can even see user reviews. And then all that is free. So the barriers to entry are almost non-existent. So I always tell dental offices, look, regardless of whether or not you end up using us and paying for our service, you should create a free account with us and look. There's no harm in looking. Okay. So I know there's a skeptic out there somewhere (laughs) saying, how do you do this? How do you open up your entire Rolodex Mm -hmm. of dental assistants, hygienists, your best with ratings and everything and not charge anything for it? And essentially people can walk away. How do you do that? So on the freemium version, you can't see last names. Okay. So there is some protection to where you can't just kind of reach around and kind of hire them behind our back without at least paying the subscription. But that said, I think it goes back to those incentives and those problems that we set out to solve that I mentioned earlier, right? So offices kind of learn the hard way that if they disintermediate and they try to go direct with one of the candidates, 
big chance that the person just no, no shows. And is it worth risking thousands of dollars of lost production for that? And mm -hmm. the same thing on the professional side. They say, is it worth kind of having an informal booking off the platform if it means that maybe the office cancels on me at the last minute and then I'm without recourse? How am I going to collect from the office? and not going to actually hire a lawyer to kind of sue the office and collect for one day. Yeah. And so when they know that cloud industry is kind of guaranteeing the transaction for both of them on both sides, that's why they're like, hey, it's not worth the hassle to kind of disintermediate and go around cloud industry. That definitely kind of checks two of the points that I can think of that have been difficult. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, I was looking at a platform earlier in the year and one of the reasons I walked away was because of an upfront gated door. And I thought, there's just no way for me to guarantee mm -hmm. the type of results I'm looking for. Right. So speaking on that, mm -hmm. how do you guarantee results? You've mentioned some ways, right. but there's a lot of things that are managed inside the platform, to my understanding, that help guarantee results and accountability. Sure. I mean, there's never a complete guarantee. So, I mean, we do have a 1% no-show rate, and we're always trying to work to make that even lower. And so we try to implement a lot of things under the hood that maybe it's not readily apparent to the user on the surface. So one example is multi-professional booking options. So when you book a professional, we give you the option of selecting three or four backups. Mm. So let's say that one professional cancels at the last minute or doesn't accept the booking request, it automatically will resend it to your second choice, your third choice, and your fourth choice. So you have a 1% no-show rate, but then you have backup upon backup upon backup. That's helped a lot. The other thing that we do is we kind of outsource the quality control component because these temp agencies, they would put themselves in the position of deciding who are the good hygienists, who are the bad hygienists, kind of very centralized approach to managing quality. And what I think a lot of these platforms have showed us is that method just isn't as effective as kind of the Yelp method, right? It's like Zagats versus Yelp. Do we want a centralized authority like Zagats telling us which restaurants are good or the people telling us which restaurants are good through Yelp? And so we took that approach with the professionals as well. And we have kind of a peer-reviewed element where the offices rate the professionals. You can see their ratings. And because of that, over 95% of our professionals are ranked four out of five stars or better because there's accountability, there's ratings. And so I think those two components kind of go a long way towards ensuring the quality of the platform. Sure. And kind of in this vein here of thinking through accountability and consistency and really kind of creating a culture. One of the other things that I noticed that cloud dentistry has done extremely well is mm. create community around their product. Mm. So I used to be in pharmaceutical sales. I used to be a pharmacy technician. And in that field as well, you have to have CEs, you have to mm -hmm. keep up your credentials. And one of the first things I noticed about how you market your product and how you create kind of advocates for mm -hmm. it is through understanding the credentialing and reaching further beyond just the hiring right. of what's required of dental professionals, but also the education side of it, hosting events. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about your strategy that you initially implemented there and how it's worked for you guys. What's been great about it and what's been challenging about sure. it? Sure. I mean, it all goes back to that central thesis of ours, which is that we want to empower the professionals. If you create a community where they feel like you are their bull, you're the tip of the spear for them, they're going to rally behind you. And so we've tried to kind of always be that for our professionals on the platform. And so you mentioned continuing education. We host CEs on the platform to just make it easy and swift for people to keep up with their continuing education requirements. We host little parties, local parties, after these trade shows to honor and appreciate the dental professionals. A lot of the hygienists, a lot of the, the dental assistants, you, know, you have to think about what it means to be in the practice of dentistry. They're going to work every day. They're in patients' mouths for the better part of the day. 
And lots of times they feel underappreciated, right? And so to have an organization that is advocating for them, showing them appreciation, that goes a very, very long way. And then we also rolled out kind of this referral program too, which they love because we want them to share in our success. So we tell them, spread the word and we're going to compensate you for it. It's the kind of like an affiliate marketing ambassador program. And again, they feel like they get to be part of cloud industry that way. Yeah. Lots of great things here. (laughs) Gamification, affiliate marketing, (laughs) building community. I mean, there's so many things that get me excited talking about the product. I'm not a dental hygienist, (laughs) but I just think it's fascinating the way the product's been built. I'm going to ask the burning question because everyone wants to know profitability of a product. How long did it take you to get there? How's it going now? What's the most exciting thing you're working on kind of coming up? Sure. So even right now, we are still in the red by design. We have 80% gross margins. So in that sense, we're profitable vis-a-vis our OPEX. But we're growing so quickly that everything extra and more gets plowed into sales and marketing. So as a startup company, we're still in the red by design. But it is a very nice feeling to kind of see those margins to see kind of the number of bookings on the platform and the amount of revenue that we're generating. I never thought it was going to kind of get to this point. I mean, I thought it would, but to kind of see it in reality, it just feels very, very satisfying. Yes, about the challenges. What's something exciting you guys are working oh, ex- on now? Obviously seeing growth, right. you're seeing growth. Everyone wants to get in the green. Mm-hmm. How are you getting there? Sure. I think the biggest thing for us is just launching new markets now. I think the hardest thing about building a marketplace platform is launching city by city. Hmm. You look at the Uber story, for example. Before Uber, there was Rideshare. And most people haven't even heard of Rideshare. They think Uber, they were the first movers. It's like, no, actually it was Rideshare. And the reason no one's heard of Rideshare is Rideshare's own fault. Like they decided to kind of do this broad national launch and not focus on a market by market approach. And Uber came along and said, hey, we're going to dominate San Francisco and get 100% market penetration there. And then they went to LA and you know, kind of stamped out one city after another. And so we've kind of adopted that approach as well, kind of this market by market launch philosophy. We've already launched in about seven or eight cities. And now that we know how to do it, now that we've perfected the model, I think the biggest challenge and opportunity ahead of us is to kind of launch another 10, 15 cities and really become kind of the dominant national presence for on-demand dental staffing. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we're in Houston now, in case you're listening and you didn't realize we're in Houston. Houston's a major medical hub in the United States. It's got one of the best medical centers here in Houston. It Was Houston the first area you guys launched in or did you launch in other cities and then expand later? Yep, Houston was the first place we launched in. This is where I went to high school. This is where I had dinner with my buddy Reza. (laughs) We were catching up here. At the time, he still lived in Houston. And so we said, hey, why don't we launch in our backyard? It ended up being a very lucky choice because, like you said, Houston has a great medical community, huge dental market. And so it was kind of a fortuitous coincidence that this is where we launched it. It ended up working very well for us. Yeah, for sure. Lots of learning and also such good food. I just have to say that like publicly. Houston has one of the most underrated Uh, food scenes. For sure. Every time I come here, I'm like, okay, there's certain restaurants I have to visit. Yeah, for sure. Definitely have a list of my own. I mean, Trey, this has been so amazing. And I could ask questions for days uh, because I'm learning too. But I know one of the things I found so interesting about your story is the huge transition. I mean, completely different industries. Mm -hmm. And then two, just the success of really finding an emerging market and approaching it in such a unique way. Obviously, sharing the 
employee sharing and the sharing economy when it comes to time isn't new, but the approach has certainly been innovative. What would you say to someone who's listening to us and is just thinking, I could never find a new market or build a product (laughs) like that? Yeah. I mean, I think the only reason I started my business is because I'm just very naive. Like, I think if I had actually thought about all the things that are involved in creating a marketplace, never would I have jumped in, right? But now that I have, I love it. But you have to have kind of that mentality of, I can do this. Research the market, make sure that it will lend itself to a marketplace solution, because not all markets will lend themselves to this type of solution. But once you're convinced that it does, you really need to go all in on it. And I think that's kind of because of my naivete, it let me do that in a kind of a casual, easy way without kind of thinking too much about the repercussions. And fortunately, it worked out for me, right? <laughs> yeah. But you really do have to have kind of a burn the ships kind of mentality, right? It's like when the, I think it was the Spanish explorers when they're coming to the new world, they didn't want their crewmen to mutiny on them and try to like sail back. And so they would burn their ships to say, no, we're here now. We're colonizing this land and we're going to like push forward and explore. This is what we're here for. We're here to explore. And you have to have that mentality, that kind of the burn the ships mentality. I can do it and make it happen. Don't go halfway, stop doing whatever you're doing, quit your job and go all in. Yeah. I mean, it's risk starting a business. Why not? Everyone does it because Mm -hmm. there's certainly risk associated with it. How did you balance the risk? I mean, obviously you want to be smart about your decisions. What's too risky? What's just enough? What's when you were thinking through that, (laughs) what was it for you? Well, again, I think I benefited from just kind of being like an inspector gadget in a way, just very naive in terms of what the risks actually were. If I had appreciated the full extent of the risk, I might not have done it. Mm. Because like you said, it is very risky. And I think I didn't really implement a very many mitigating safeguards against the risks that I was incurring. In hindsight, yeah, maybe I should have, but I didn't. I just dove in head first. I said, I'm going to quit my legal profession, dive in and pray that it succeeds. (laughs) And it has. I mean, but that's part of your spirit too, right? You braved the courtroom and you always kind of had that competitive nature. And I do think it takes a lot of that. It takes a lot of, I always kind of refer to like the Kobe Bryant mentality. Like you have to believe in what you're doing. It has to be big enough for you to get up when it's scary, when it's Mm -hmm. failing. And I think that naivety kind of plays in your favor sometimes because when you get backed into corners and you don't have tons of funds or experience, you get really creative on how you solve problems. You do. You do. You don't leave yourself very many options. You have to be. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So if anyone wants to connect with you or learn more about what you're doing or ask you more questions that I didn't ask you today, where can they connect with you? Yeah, I welcome that because as an entrepreneur, I kind of know kind of how difficult this road can be. And it's not like there's a guidebook for this type of thing. And so we have to learn from each other's mistakes. So I definitely welcome it from any of your listeners. So it's that you can just reach me by email, Trey, T-R-E-Y at clouddentistry.com. Perfect. And then I always like to point people to something actionable. What is a resource, a book, anything that you could point the listeners to that you've found interesting or helpful? Sure. So I have two choices. One is just a book that I really enjoy because it just opens your mind to kind of the amazingness of the universe and kind of all the possibilities that are out there. And it kind of puts it into perspective how small we are and makes it feel like, okay, well, given how vast the universe is, I can surely move the needle a little bit and do a little bit. So it's called Physics of the Impossible by Michio Kaku, a wonderful book. And then the other one is Launch by, I think, Jeff Walker, a fantastic book that kind of just walks you through start to finish how to start a company, fundraise, how to structure it the right way, how to create the right incentives, go to market strategy. It's all covered in that book. 
And it's just a great catalyst for ideas. You read it and you'll ponder it and you'll come up with a million other ideas that aren't in the book, but it's a great catalyst for ideas. Love both of those. Definitely adding to my Amazon list now. (laughs) Any producers listening, add those two. (laughs) But thanks so much for the resources. And Trey, thank you so much for your time and for sharing just so authentic. It was an honor. It was an honor. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to know how to get involved and share your story, head over to our website at b2bgrowthhacks.com. Also, while you're there, subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest conversations happening here on B2B Growth Hacks. This podcast is sponsored by Speakerbox Media, where we hand-build podcasts just like this one to create online communities for brands like yours. If you'd like to learn more, head over to speakerboxmedia.com.